Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. We're going to read down to verse 18 this morning. We looked at the first 10 verses of this chapter last Lord's Day. I'll be giving a very brief review of what we talked about last week. But picking up this morning in verse 11, our Lord still speaking to those Pharisees and the Jews that He's speaking to in John chapter 9. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. A hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, Because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Leave off reading there in verse 18. As I said earlier, John 10 is a continuation of the conversation that started in John 9. conversation between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Pharisees and the Jews that were present at the healing of the blind man. In the first ten verses of this chapter, our Lord set forth another contrast between himself and the leaders of the Jews' religion. This is a continual practice with him, and I think we can learn from that. In those verses, he is revealed as the door through which his own sheep come out of their false religion and find A true walk with God. He is revealed as a shepherd who is followed by his own sheep. The same verses, verses 1 through 10, in the same verses, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders are called thieves, robbers, verse 1, murderers, verse 10, strangers, verse 5, who must climb up another way because they seek to steal and to kill the sheep. This morning's text label them as hirelings, verse 12 and 13. Let's go back and look at the first words of John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The religious leaders of Israel were supposed to be Israel's shepherds. They were supposed to be caring for the souls of that nation. The prophets warned them of God's judgment falling upon them because they did not gather the Lord's sheep. They did not feed his sheep. They did not protect his sheep and they did not care for his sheep. 
In John chapter 5, verse chapter, chapter 5 through chapter 8, we see these hirelings rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and his message. In John chapter 9, we see them casting out one of the Lord's sheep because he sought to do what was right and in doing so came into conflict with the Jews' religion. We also see the shepherd gathering that sheep that had been cast out of that false religion. In contrast to these hirelings, our Lord sets himself before the Jews as well as the Gentiles, as we'll see uh, before this morning is over, as the legally appointed shepherd, God's legally appointed shepherd. Remember last week, to come to the porter, to, to be allowed by the porter into the sheepfold, you had to legally own the sheep that were in the sheepfold. That's why the Pharisees were called thieves and robbers as they come up another way. God's legally appointed shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. In doing so, in setting himself as the shepherd of God's sheep, he not only rejects, but he renounces the Jewish leaders. They are not true shepherds. They are hirelings. Verse 12 and 13. They labor for the money or for the religious recognition as Matthew and Luke bring out. Not for the souls of men. And so a contrast is set up between them. The same word is used in Mark 1.20. Listen to the words of Mark 20 and see if you can pick out the word hireling. Not translated hireling. And straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with hired servants and went after him. The Greek word behind the phrase hired servant is exactly the word hireling here in our text in John chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. The hireling is nothing more than a hired servant. Keep that in mind as we go through and see how these hirelings act with the sheep. But this morning I want to read out of Ezekiel 34. It's rather lengthy reading, but I think it'll be profitable for us because the Old Testament describes for us these hirelings as well as the Good Shepherd. Go over to Ezekiel chapter 34, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses to show the character of the hireling, and then beginning in verse 11 and going down to verse 16, to show the character of the good shepherd. Ezekiel 34, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat, and you clothe ye with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The diseased have ye not strengthened. Neither have ye healed that which was sick. Neither have ye bound up that which was broken. Neither have ye brought again that which was driven away. Neither have ye sought that which was lost, and with force, 
and with cruelty have you ruled over them. Verse 5, and they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon the face of the earth. And none did search or seek after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became meat to every beast of the field because there was no shepherd. Neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Verse 9. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 10. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Praise the Lord. And cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves anymore. For I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. That's the hireling. Verse 11. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. The good shepherd. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day when he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. Verse 14, I will feed them in a good pasture. We saw that yet last week. And upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be, their place of protection. There shall they lie in a good field, fold. And in a fat pasture shall they feed among the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord. I will seek that which was lost, and bring again that which was driven away. And I and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong, speaking of the hirelings, the false shepherds, and I will feed them with judgment. We'll leave off reading there in verse 16. Already the hirelings and the good shepherd have been contrasted in the Old Testament. This morning in John chapter 10, we see him again. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. With this verse, our Lord again sets forth a stark contrast between himself and those who, were the, who are only religious hirelings. He is good. They are not. He is morally good, spiritually good, intrinsically good. Children, that means good through and out, from the inside out. Good in every way. His works are good. His words are good. His life is good. His sacrifice for sinners is good. 
All that he is, all that he does, all that he says is good, both to his Father in heaven, who approves of what he is doing, and to his sheep, who hear his voice and follow him. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He is the true shepherd of God's sheep. They are only hired servants who do not care for the sheep. He gives his life for the sheep. The hirelings flee and leave the sheep defenseless. I've seen that in my lifetime and in the ministry. The phrase, giveth his life for the sheep, refers to every aspect of provision and protection needed by the sheep, both physical and spiritual. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to rejoice in the spiritual blessings of God. But we're going to see how God protected us physically, provided for us physically, cared for us physically. He gives his life to protect their physical life, but also to provide for their physical life. But more importantly, he gives his life for. Hooper, the Greek word, for, in the place of his sheep. As their substitute, standing in their place as the one who will be condemned so that he might provide them life. He might provide them freedom from sin. He might take upon himself the curse so that they could be set free. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life in the place of, on behalf of, for the sheep. He gives his life for them. The prophet Isaiah foresaw this day in Isaiah 53, 6. He wrote, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have sinned or we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Matthew's gospel, in chapter 20, in verse 28, we read these words. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for, on behalf of, in the place of, many. Paul writing to Titus in his epistle to Titus in chapter 2, verse 14. Titus 2.14 says of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. In the place of, on behalf of us, that, we, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. In saying that he would give himself in the place of his sheep, our Lord is speaking of his work as God's priests, offering up himself as God's acceptable sacrifice as the only sacrifice that the Father would accept in the place of sinners. Once again, he reveals a contrast between himself and the Jewish religious leaders. The Jewish priesthood had degenerated to the place where they were hirelings, where he could call them thieves and robbers who sought to steal and to kill. In contrast, our Lord does everything to save his sheep from every enemy they might face. What a contrast is set before us this morning between the Lord Jesus Christ and religious leaders who live off of the fat of the sheep. 
In verses 12 and 13 we read, But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf cometh, and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the sheep catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep, and the hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. The wolf in, this, in these two verses that is seen by the hireling is any person or any being that comes upon the Lord's church or upon the Lord's people with hostile intentions, with destructive intentions, with the intentions to scatter. I've also seen that in men who say they're God-called and take up churches and in the end of their ministry the church is destroyed. I have the personal knowledge of a man that destroyed four of the Lord's churches before he passed away. Scattering. The wolf is any power that is opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He carries many different names in the scriptures. I'm going to read three of them to you. First, false prophets. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15 reads, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. Second text in Matthew 10 verse 16. It refers to anyone who is in opposition to the gospel. Matthew 10 and verse 16 Jesus Christ speaking to the twelve says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as servants and harmless as doves. Matthew 10, 16. The third reference is to anyone who seeks to divide and destroy the Lord's churches. This one is spoken of in Acts chapter 20. Verse 28 and 29, as the Apostle Paul is speaking to the elders at the church at Ephesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and 29 reads, Take heed therefore unto yourself, as he speaks to these elders, and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For, verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Anyone who comes in to divide and destroy the Lord's church, anyone who stands in opposition to the gospel, false prophets who come in the name of the Lord and preach peace, peace, when there is no peace. Because of the hirelings, this text tells us that the wolf catches and scatters the sheep. The English word catcheth comes from a Greek word which means to capture, but it also means to pluck. That should ring a bell with you. If it doesn't, I'm going to give you the text in John 10, 28. No man is able to pluck them out of my hand. Same Greek word that catch is in catch here in verse 12 and 13. 
And so what do we learn from this verse? From this use of this word in the same chapter? Well, we can understand this, that the wolf can capture, can catch one of the Lord's sheep for a short time, but cannot permanently remove that sheep from his place of security with his Lord. As our Lord uses it two different ways here in John chapter 10. Let me give you a good example of that. Satan captured Job for a short time. God gave him permission to. But Job always belonged to the Lord. There was never a time that righteous Job, in the course of everything that he was suffering, had the course of everything Satan was bringing upon him, there was never a time that righteous Job did not belong to his God. He was never in danger of being taken out from among the sheep who had been given to the Lord Jesus Christ by his Father. Caught, yes. Afflicted, yes. Struggling, yes. Taken out of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, no. The hireling seeth the wolf and flees and the sheep are scattered. The word scattered is used in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Did you hear the word scatter also in Ezekiel 34? How many times God used that word scatter in that text? Acts chapter 8 in verse 1 reads, And Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen, and at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered, scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Acts 8 verse 1. God allowed a wolf to come in by the name of Saul of Tarsus. A great persecution came upon the local church at Jerusalem. And as a result of that, the saints scattered. The Lord's people and his churches have continually suffered persecution from false religions who, like wolves, seek to devour God's sheep and who at times catch them but never overcome them. Never overcome them in such a way as they are taken from Christ. It is important that we realize that the great whore, that false religion which is opposed to everything relating to God, mentioned in the book of the Revelation, is like a ravening wolf who is, quote, drunk with the blood of the saints, unquote. Revelation seventeen six. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the martyrs of Jesus. False religion, drunk on the blood of the saints. Count, captured and sometimes killed, but never ever, ever able to take them or pluck them out of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the actions of these hirelings mentioned in verse 12 and verse 13. The text says that they see the wolf. Every word of God I have taught you is important. And so I looked up the word see. I've looked up a lot of words, but I looked up the word see. This is not a glance. And then they go on to their own business. 
But this word see as they see the wolf is that they gazed upon the wolf. They fixed their eyes upon the wolf. They gazed upon the wolf long enough to determine the wolf's intention. Are you listening? They are fully aware that, the, that he is a wolf and they are fully aware of his intentions to destroy the sheep. They gaze upon him, determine his intention is to take the sheep and then flee. What a statement of false religion. Being fully aware that the wolf is coming. Being fully aware that in his intentions are evil against the sheep. They flee the sheep. They flee away from the wolf. They leave the sheep defenseless. They care not for the sheep. That's the conclusion in verse 13. Verse 14. Jesus comes back to himself. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. And, and know my sheep. And am known of mine. Everything in this verse. You notice the emphasis on the word and. That Greek word that brings things together. So they cannot be separated. Every. Thing in this verse is connected in such a way as it cannot be separated. So that he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. Those two things cannot be separated. But he also adds, and am known of my sheep. That third thing can also, can also never be separated from the first two. He is a God who is repeating do you realize how many times he has said, I'm the good shepherd? Three times already, by the way. <laughs> how many times he says that he lays down his life for a sheep? Everything in this verse has already been said. And will be said again before the end of this chapter. Why does God speak in such repetitious terms? That was my question as I read it again. <laughs> Not that the commentaries dealt with it because none of them did. But I thought, why is God saying over and over these things? I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Three times. Well, I wasn't once enough. I laid out my life for my sheep. Wasn't once enough. Well, we know the answer to that already. If we know anything about our own hearts and our own minds, we know once is not enough. But let me give you four reasons why I believe God repeats things. Okay? First, He is a God who is consistent in all that He reveals. Everything God, every time God repeats something, you can check it out. If He has said it before, He is consistent in saying the same thing now. God hasn't changed in what He means and what He says. From Genesis to Revelation, there is one great truth that God has declared. Secondly, He is a God who has purpose that His people be taught of Him. Now, some of you, all of you, maybe not all of you, but I think all of the adults in this room 
have done some teaching. Now the purpose of teaching is that you teach. And in teaching, sometimes it takes repetition before the person gets it. How many times have I given the definition of deign thy suppliant's prayer to? How many times? A bunch. And still, it's hard. We find it hard to remember a word that we, haven't, we don't use on a regular basis. So the next time we sing that song, I may bring it up again. Why? Repetition is good in teaching. Kids, you're being homeschooled. Your mama says this. And she said, how many times do I have to tell you? Well, mom, obviously one more time because I didn't get it. <laughs> right? Or your teacher says, how many times do I have to tell you? Two plus two is four. Oh, really? I got it. Now, if you've never said that, well, you're a very good teacher. I've said it often. I have found teaching the purpose of it is to teach. And if they don't get it, you're going to have to repeat it. And so our God has purpose what? To teach every one of his children. And uh, sometimes, brethren, we don't get it. The third reason why God repeats things, he is a God who has purpose that his people will be fully convinced of the truth. Fully convinced of the truth of his word. I believe every Christian here can bear this testimony in some measure. When I was younger, I said, yes, I understand salvation by grace. Yes, I know something of the mercy of God. Yes, I understand this doctrine. 10, 15, 20 years later, I have come to a more mature understanding, hopefully, of some of these things. Being more fully convinced of the truth of these things. Uh, having had them tested down through this series of time, having had seen that my forefathers had them tested and came through uh, then, through time, becoming more fully convinced that this is true. God repeats things to us until we are more fully convinced of the truth of certain things. And finally... He is a God who knows our frailties. Connected to the second and third point. He knows we need reminding because we are too often forgetful of the Word of God. Three or four or five years ago, I preached a message at Hilburn Drive, Grace Baptist Church, where John sent two of his disciples to Jesus when John was in prison and he said ask him are you the one or do we look for another and the response of our Lord Jesus Christ to those two were go and tell John again and the course of that message I preached on again and again and again and again and we saw it last week Jesus said again. Repetition is good. And so when we read a verse and it's there again, <laughs> we still take notice of it. I am the good shepherd, as I said. Good in every aspect of that word as it may relate to everything 
relating to our God. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. He has known his sheep in a personal, that's the what's behind this word, in a personal and affectionate way for all eternity. He has known our name. Verse 3, I call them by their name. He knows our true spiritual condition before we are saved and after we are saved. There's nothing that he does not know about his sheep. He knows our need, brethren, and our burdens. He knows, he knows all things. My sheep know me. And that's not what it, the exact words it says. It says, and am known of my sheep. Verse 14. And am known of mine. We know him. Same Greek word, by the way. In a special, personal, affectionate, spiritual, and saving way. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We know him. Why? Because he first knew us. Our knowledge of him is in response to his determination to reveal himself to us. He goes on in verse 15 and says, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again he says those words. But this time connecting it with the Father's knowledge of the Son and the Son's knowledge of the Father. Their knowing and being personally intimate and affectionately involved in Him laying down His life. There's a connection here between the Father knowing the Son and the Son knowing the Father and the fact that He's going to lay down His life for them. This love and this affection this relationship that the Father and the Son have. There is an agreement between them in His laying down His life for His sheep. Our Lord's intimate connection with His Father means that they are one in purpose. One in God's agenda to save sinners from their sins. So our Lord is able to say, I lay down my life for my sheep. And this is repeated in this verse because he wants us to see that the Father's involved in this too and is in complete agreement with what's going on. The triune God has been involved in the saving of people, the saving of sinners. From eternity with the Father to Calvary, the Father and Son have agreed this is what needs to be done to save my sheep from their sins. Verse 16. And other sheep I have, he connects it, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now he begins to deal with these Jewish Pharisees and these Jews about the Gentiles and other sheep. Not of this fold, not of the nation of Israel. A reference instead to the Gentiles who will be called by name. Brought out of their false religion and out of their religion, out of their sin. And called upon to follow the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, on their own. Other sheep I have, present tense. He speaks of present tense possession of having Gentile sheep. Sheep. No S. 
though not actually possessing them in time at this point. Them also I must bring. Here let me just say this about those words. Missionary activity among all the people groups of the world is a must. It begins with the must that our Lord Jesus Christ speaks of. Them also I must bring. Out of all the peoples of the world, I must bring them. All nations must hear the gospel message. Our Lord must bring them from every nation uh, into His fold. In heaven we read these words. In the book of Revelation we read these words about heaven. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man can number of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation is of our God, which sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb. Them also I must bring. Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10. They shall hear my voice. Again, he speaks in a definitive way. Almost everything related to the salvation of the Gentiles was future when our Lord spoke these words. The Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out on the day of Pentecost to credentialize the Lord's church and empower them to take the gospel to the nations. There was one local church on the earth at the time that he spoke these words, and there was a small membership. Calvary had not been accomplished yet. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord not yet accomplished. The ascension of our Lord yet not accomplished. The outpouring or the sending forth of the Spirit by the Father and of the Son not yet accomplished. And yet, they shall hear my voice. These words are an expression of our Lord's purpose in the salvation of His sheep. They shall hear. This is a statement that teaches us that the salvation of Gentiles is not left up to chance. Not left up to luck. Instead, the salvation of the Gentiles is predetermined. The Gentile people will hear. They will repent. They will believe. They will be saved. They will follow our Savior who is their Savior. They will be joined together with the Jews, the elect Jews, into one kingdom and one family of God. They will. Because Jesus Christ said it will happen. More than 2,000 years of gospel preaching and sinners repenting and sinners believing on the Lord Jesus Christ has passed since these words were uttered. 2,000 years of history to prove that they shall hear. How far back do we have to go to prove that the words of our Lord Jesus Christ are true? How many thousands, yea, millions of Christians have heard, sinners heard and embraced the gospel message and followed Christ sometimes to their death on earth at the hands of false religions would not recant, would not turn their back on Christ. They shall hear and shall follow. 
present day Christianity was in his heart and upon his mind when he said they shall hear. The day of our Lord has not yet ended. He has not returned to bring judgment upon the earth. There is still a time of grace. In this day they shall hear my voice is still going on and still being fulfilled. The Apostle Paul wrote in Acts 28 and verse 28, Be it known therefore unto you, as he speaks to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. What a statement. Spoken under inspiration of God, yes, but on what authority? On the authority that Jesus Christ has said already, other sheep I have that are not of this fold, them I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. One fold, one group of saints, Old Testament and New, gathered together, the middle wall of partition removed, one family of God gathered together before the Lord. No distinction in the New Testament between Jew and Gentile. That's been removed. The move to keep the distinction between Jew and Gentile is unbiblical. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Only those who repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to the saving of their souls. And he closes with these two verses. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and listen, and I have power to take it again. Take what? Again, life. I have power to lay down life, and I have power to bring back life. This commandment have I received of my Father. The Father loves the Son for the work that He will do to save sinners from their sins. Because the Son voluntarily laid down His life for His sheep. The Son looks past His death in these verses. He looks past the sacrificial offering that will be made at Calvary's cross on behalf of His sheep that will be accepted by His Father. He looks past the grave. He looks past those days in the grave. And He looks to that third day when He will take up life again and raise from the grave after three days. He says, after I have laid down my life in death, I will take it up again. He has died for sinners. He has made a way for sinners to be joined with His Father. He has paid the whole debt that was against sinners. He was satisfied the demands of the law of God. He died for in the sinner's place. He was buried for in their place. And He rose for them in their place that He might justify them before God. Brethren, and you that are outside of Christ, do you see in the Lord Jesus Christ a worthy Savior? Someone who is able to save you from your sins. Do you see in the Lord Jesus Christ a shepherd worthy to be followed during the days of your life on this earth? If you see that, 
if something about the Lord Jesus Christ saving his sheep from their sins has moved in your heart this morning, if he could save them, perhaps he could save me, then come and follow him. It's between you and him. Take up your conversation with the Lord. He is not far away. He is as close as the words in your ear. Call upon him and he will save you. Let's pray.